This is the World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hi, and welcome to the main interview for today's episode. I am joined by a previous guest and friend of the show, Dr. Kevin Teo, Chartered Psychologist and Program Director of the MSc Organisational Psychology Program at Birkbeck University of London. Hello, Kevin, and welcome back to the show. Hello, thank you for having me back. I must have said something right the last time to get another invite. Definitely, definitely. We've been really looking forward to it and we've just been waiting for a good, interesting topic and I think we've definitely got one today. I guess before we get started, it'd be lovely if you could just introduce a little bit about yourself and your interests to the audience and uh, maybe a little bit about your background. Thank you, Jane. So by background, I'm an occupational health psychologist. So really what I'm interested in is how workplaces are designed, organized and, and managed. So I always think ironically as a psychologist, I'm a lot less interested in the individual, but far more interested in the environment and the system that, that someone is in. Because I do think that in, in a way with the products of environment, and if we can create better workplaces, then we can talk about having healthier and maybe even happier people at work. Brilliant. Thank you. And since we last saw so for those of you who don't listen, you can look back at the uh, catalogue and Kevin was with us talking about the experiences of healthcare workers and mental health. It's quite a long time ago now. I think it was pre-pandemic, uh, which we <laughs> appear to be the new BC and AD of the world, don't they? So it's like pre-March 2020 for the UK. And we talked about that. And I guess we wanted to wanted to chat with you because we know you've been really busy with research, but also, you know, you're really passionate about the experience of healthcare workers. And, and uh, we want to talk a little bit about the impact of the pandemic, but also what's been going on since, because it feels a little bit like the world's and most of us, you know, are busy trying to move past the pandemic and move on. But obviously, it was a huge disruption and it continues to have repercussions. So I guess the first thing I want to maybe ask you a little bit is what's changed since we last spoke to you for healthcare workers and, and what was what was the uh what's some what were some of the impacts of the pandemic and afterwards? Yeah, I think actually listening to what what you were just saying, I think actually we spoke after the first wave. So we might have actually captured some of the, the, the start of the pandemic and, and, and the challenges around around that. So if I didn't think about you know, what's happened since, and clearly a lot has happened, and I think a lot has been written and, and discussed uh, about that. If we talk about healthcare workers being at the front, from the front lines of, of the pandemic, you know, we talk about high working, challenging working conditions, having to deal with um, well, a dangerous virus, which has been, been going around. Um, but I think where we are right now, it's also interesting to reflect and, and think about this, well, I want to say transition, and it's almost for lack of a better word, but I do think that we're transitioning into a different stage. I, I am hesitant to use the word end because I don't think we're anywhere near the end of, of where we are. And I think actually just this discussion that we're having right now and the words that we're using reflects, I think, the experiences and the difficulty that many healthcare workers face, and that is that as a society, we don't actually know where we stand. Because I think when we look at some of the public messages that we receive from government or elsewhere from our organizations, perhaps the impression is that actually things are finished and that we've moved on. Um, when the reality is very different for lots of people. And and that might be, if you're not a healthcare worker, it's because you're, we're, we're, we're all tired. 
Um, but some of us, we've all been been affected to varying degrees. Some of us more directly, whether we're recovering from from COVID or long COVID. Some of us experience death or change in employment circumstances. And the same also applies to to health work, healthcare workers who have to deal with all of that, um, and actually still deal with people who are struggling with COVID. And that is the reality: is that COVID hasn't gone away. Yes, we might be learning to try and live with it. But um, our healthcare system is still struggling um, directly in having to deal with COVID patients, but indirectly with actually dealing with the backlog of everything that has been happening or, or held back across the last two and a half years. Yeah. And you, I was just looking back. You're absolutely right. It was it was very early on that we spoke and it was all, I don't know, it all seemed, well, I, we, I don't think any of us could have predicted just exactly uh, the last couple of years. I, I want to ask you about this idea of, this period post. And I guess I'm going to ask you a really simple question actually first, which is, I don't know a lot of healthcare workers, but I would imagine that experiencing clinical settings in the period of COVID, particularly around COVID itself and all the things that they probably had to do and all the, all the repercussions on the other parts of the healthcare system was quite, I hesitate to use academic words, but quite traumatic for some of them. What would have happened for them after things sort of I didn't quiet down, but less there were less prevalence of those kind of high numbers of cases in hospitals, and also they started to bring other services back online. Would they have they would be given additional support? Um, would they still be being given additional support now? Yeah, I think that's an important question to ask. And the reality, I think, is it it varies. It varies across what function you are. It varies across what what trust that you're in. I think a lot of trusts, to give them credit, have put a lot of work in to try and increase the amount of support, um, support services for, for healthcare workers um, and also not just trusts in self, but other professional bodies as well. So whether it's the British Medical Association, the Royal College of Nursing, just to give you to give you some some examples. But I think the challenge always is 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 well with with accessing support. Just because support is there doesn't actually mean it's necessarily used. And a big part of some of the work that we've been doing across the last couple of years is about trying to facilitate that that support. How can we target support to those who who need it the most? And often it's unfortunately those who need it the most who perhaps are least likely to go looking for it. So it's about how can we be more proactive in terms of identifying individuals who need that support. Um, and then matching them with the with the right services on 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 the back of that, but I th- I do think that one of the, the the challenges that healthcare workers are facing at the moment is just well I guess processing everything that has happened across the last two years. A lot of individuals, teams, groups of people have been have been or are running on empty, have been you know, working in terms of um, yeah working in overdrive, not being able to rest appropriately, feeling guilty if they're taking time off. So all that takes a cumulative effect on on an individual's psychological, physical, and and mental well-being. And it's not as simple as saying, do you know what? Take some time off and and you're going to be okay. And in, in many circumstances, yeah, we need to talk about how we support individuals within the workplace because that's that's the the, the for many people the best place that we can we can support that. But even though I think we think about things quieting down, I don't think it has actually really quietened down because as I said earlier on, we're, we're dealing with um, a big backlog in terms of built up of, of patient demands, um, of elective procedures, which weren't able to be carried out in the last two years. 
um, and also expectations from from patients as well and, and and wider society. I think we read a lot, for example, in the media with general with GPs um, talking about GPs not willing to meet patients face to face, and actually it's a it's a combination of factors. And I think a lot of it is systemic issues. We just don't have enough GPs, which means those that exist or those who are working in the current system are having to work even longer hours, even harder to try and make up for 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 the lack of personnel within it. But I think what we then hear is a narrative that plays out that GPs are more comfortable sitting at home or wanting to work remotely, when actually the truth is a lot more complicated than that. Yeah, and you meant you mentioned the word narrative there, and I'm just it just strikes me that probably just around the time we last spoke was the beginnings of this kind of certainly in the UK. And I know I've seen photos of it in elsewhere in, in Europe, this kind of positioning of healthcare as, as um, these very special people who were single, not single-handedly, but as a group tackling this, utterly, we, we were throwing everything at making sure they were completely focused on solving this big, horrible problem that society was, was focused on. And they were, they were, you know, they were on the news and it was everywhere and every primary school in Britain was doing a rainbow and... But that has apparently, certainly, if I look around my local area, that's changed very much, and certainly in the papers, I don't see it the same. What, what if anything, would that mean for them? Is that is that different for them? Do they notice that? Is it is it something that might play a role? I think we talk about this hero mentality or, or, or hero worshiping, and I mean, as with everything, it's, it's a lot more nuanced and a lot more complicated. And and for many healthcare workers, um, at that time, it was it was nice to to receive that acknowledgement. Um, but I think when we move on beyond that, I think there are also a number of, I will say, dangers um, or things that we need to be aware about when we we talk about this this hero narrative. And and one of it actually is we put individuals or groups of people on a on a pedestal. Um, and what that means when we talk about asking for help um, is it maybe makes people less reluctant to ask for help because it feels like actually if I take time off away from work, who's going to do my role? A lot of people will, will you know, uh, my, my patients might, might struggle, my colleagues might struggle. So actually, I have a responsibility to do something. When actually, the best thing that maybe you can do is actually, yeah, take that time off. Go and speak to someone, get some support. Um, because otherwise, what you might be doing is, is putting yourself or, or compromising your own well-being over a longer period of time. So if we're not careful in terms of how we, how we manage the narrative about different um, professions, then this is one of the the maybe unwanted side effects on the back of that. But I think there's also a parallel narrative alongside that, which is if we see individuals as narrative and they do it because healthcare, in this case, healthcare workers do it because of the goodness of their heart, because of their values, because they want to make a difference. And all this is is fantastic, is really noble, and you know we we, we can encourage that. But I think also it then can make it quite difficult to argue and justify for resources and that can be resources to provide psychological support and services to our healthcare workers uh, it can be resources for them to do their jobs and it can even be resources for things like paying them a higher wage because i think you know they as along with many other key workers in other roles certainly do deserve it but there's a danger that when we talk about and emphasize that hero role that what we're saying is actually we don't have to give them all of that because superheroes don't do it for the money they don't do it for everything so as long as we can clap them then that is that is fine and that is i think problematic 
yeah, I think it's very problematic. And I think so regular listeners will know that James and I have talked about relying on people's passion or vocation as a way of extracting additional value in the labor exchange. So, you know, using it as a way to say, oh, you know, you're getting all of this from it. So why you don't need this over here, you don't need the extra money or the time off because you're getting this passion, this value, and it's a way of convincing people to do that. And I think, you know, in some senses, I'm, I wouldn't for a minute suggest that anyone I know used language like hero or clapped or any of those things for that purpose. I don't think it's intentional, but it's more that, you know, when we move through and like you say, I guess I think you used the word transition, in our heads as a as a non-healthcare worker, do I square away mentally, okay, well, that person did that thing and I've thanked them. <laughs> and that's closed and done versus this is an ongoing this, you know, in all likelihood, it's going to change a significant period of their career, not just for their own personal experience of it, but because the practices in healthcare have changed because of COVID. Definitely. And I think it's it's what you just said about closing and moving on. I think that's that's really relevant and appropriate because I think for many people have closed that and that was a stage where we clapped for them and then now we don't anymore. And I think if you're a healthcare worker who is struggling, whether with your own mental well-being um, or just struggling with working conditions and environment more generally, it's it's easy to look back and say, actually, what's happened to that support? Where is that support when actually we need that right now? Um, and and yeah, so, you know, that, that comparison of before and, and after or, or where we were then and where we are now actually can make things a lot more, a lot more stark. And I think also, oh, <laughs> alongside that, when we look at, this closure a lot that there, there is also again a discourse in in media and on social media where individuals saying look we clap for them then and now some of them or the health healthcare sector is being problematic in the sense that we can't get gp appointments we can't get hospital appointments or maybe we are still being subjected to um, having to adhere to some form of restrictions when we go to hospitals or want to engage with with the healthcare service um, or maybe even other discussions when we then talk about well, the role of vaccinations do we need another round and um, etc and um, yeah other forms of control so so yeah it's, it's this disconnect between well we gave them credit before but now we've 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 moved from viewing them as heroes to almost actually in a way viewing healthcare workers as um, not heroes and troublemakers in a way it's so it's so funny to, well, it's not funny at all there's nothing funny about it it's so peculiar talking to you about healthcare workers because I think I I think about people's experience of work and politics and the way our society works quite a lot and then I talk to you and I think crikey it's never occurred to me just how much our health our healthcare system generally and our healthcare workers specifically experiences and abilities to do their job is so entirely influenced by the general public's perception in so many ways. So it's a public service in, in the UK. For those of you who don't who live in other countries, it'll be different for you, but it's, it's a public service. So politically, decisions get made. And so the way we vote influences their experience through the way that healthcare strategy might be approached. Um, it's influenced by things like devolution, but it's also influenced because they're patients. So the general public is also their patients. So their experience of the work and the interactions and the way they're treated 
But it's also, and again, then it's about how they're talked about and how they see themselves portrayed in society and the media, how people respond to them. And it just, I guess I've never really, I mean, I've honestly, this was, as you listen, this wasn't part of the planned conversation. I just, it's never occurred to me before. And yet, ultimately, we actually, as a, as a population, have a huge ability to influence the experience and the ability of our healthcare workers to be able to do their job well, but also to do it in a way that is not, you know, incredibly challenging for them. And yeah, I hadn't really thought of it that way. That's, there's lots of ways you can do that. I mean, we could talk about um, the role of, of politics and, and influence and, and, you know, as a democracy, how we change that. But I think individually as well, one of the most striking things was talking to a doctor. This was earlier on in the pandemic. Um, and, and, and he was saying there's nothing. It's, it's so surreal to spend a whole day working on a, on a COVID intensive ward um, with people who are basically at the end of, of their lives. And then to go out home knackered and to have to walk to a protest of people who are um, basically protesting um, against what you're doing because they cannot accept what is happening and thinking that you're part of a big conspiracy. And that disconnect is very hard to, to reconcile as well. Um, and again, I think we, we as, as I said earlier on, healthcare workers are putting in phenomenal amounts of effort to try and keep the system running. And it's understandable when individual patients are struggling to get the healthcare service that they they expect and and probably in in, in many ways deserve as well. Um, but yeah, if, if if the the system cannot cope with the demand, then what you have is individuals who are trying to do their very best, but um, in, in a way you're one patient that they're trying to see in alongside many others. We generally, even not in healthcare, generally, I think, I mean, we, we've seen it in retail. We've talked to, uh, on this about retail workers before and restaurant workers. Um, generally, as a, as a general public, not naming any particular groups or anything like that, but generally we're not brilliant at, at differentiating between the person in the organisation and the organisation. So when our frustrations in the way that something happens... Because there's no distance. We don't, if you're front facing in any way, you are just, you, you are the representative of that organization for the purposes of that patient or that customer um, or that client. And I think you end up bearing a huge amount of it. But yeah, it just, I'd never really thought about it that other way around. And I think it, it occurs to me there's lots we can all do to at least take, listen to what we're talking about in terms of the pressures on healthcare workers. At the very least, not question their intention, which I feel like, that's the bare minimum we can do. Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree with you. I think there's a there's also a difference also between clearly healthcare workers and 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 the restaurant industry. And I think what we cannot forget also is for any individual member of the public who actually is in need of healthcare services, you're ringing your your GP because you actually feel believe that you need to see a, a GP if you're working in or if you're waiting in a in an A&E ward at hospital is because that's something really important to you has happened. If you are waiting for a scan because you think that you might have cancer, then actually that that is a very emotional moment for you as well. Um, so for you, that's a very significant moment. And of course, it's understandable that individuals want and expect all the resource and attention that, 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 that they need. Um, and I think it's just about managing those expectations and trying to get people to have I think a an understanding because I don't think there is a simple answer or solution to to all of this so we've been looking at some research nothing to do with healthcare workers just around we're trying to help organizations at the moment quite doing quite a lot of work trying to help them move to either hybrid remote or or partially remote 
organizations. And, and what we so far have noticed is that there was a period of academic research where I would say every article in three was about either something that could be related to this period of pandemic or change. And that seems to have certainly when I've started looking more recently changed a little bit. That seems to be moving away. And they're definitely, and from a practitioner point of view, is people are talking less and less about what the impact of the pandemic and what they need to do about it. But our suspicion is, and certainly when we speak to some of our clients, that never mind the actual horrible disease, but the disruption of the last two years as well is still having massive repercussions. And I guess I was just either looking for reassurance or or not, but do you think people are still researching and from a practitioner point of view, trying to look at what healthcare workers need and want in this period of transition. Do you see it as a still a priority or do you think it's going to become a fight to have to maintain the focus on this topic? I think currently where we are right now, it still exists as a, as a priority. We have lots of stakeholders who are still um, pushing for, for support and pushing for resources. Um, I think, however, we're also mindful that, again, things are, are changing and, and there has been a very public shift um, in the discourse and the policies which are made at a, at a national level by, by government in terms of, um, well, how we deal and manage with the, with the pandemic. Just as a, as a simple example is that car parking in hospitals in England is being car parking charges are being reinstated for healthcare workers, um, which, again, if you talk about healthcare workers having worked really hard over the last few years, um, having had one benefit, which was being given free parking, which is crazy if you think about it, because lots of people um, don't have to pay for parking. But anyway, let's not go down that discussion. But 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 I think it's a it's a it's an example actually, which also feeds into something else where we talk about a, a disconnect of what was and, and what is. So it was almost not I would say a perk or a benefit, but it was an advantage which healthcare workers had, but then now that's been taken away because the whole argument is, well, we haven't got enough funding, we haven't got enough resources, so basically you now have to pay for parking again. And that's just one example because we talk about other things, so such as the implementation of rest facilities in hospitals. So during the various waves, lots of hospitals found space and found rooms in which um, um, yeah, restrooms or restoration rooms were, were created where healthcare workers could go in and where they get a snack or actually have somewhere to sit down or have a nap, which is crazy. I'm saying somewhere to sit down because there are there are there are wards and and, and um, physical places in, in our healthcare sectors where healthcare workers don't have anywhere appropriate where they can go and have a, a break or a sandwich. So where that was that space was created, but now is has been or is being taken away. So so again a disconnect between what was given to you and then now it's being taken away. And I think that's symbolic and challenging on two fronts. A, because it says, look, we're actually able to do things and we have got space to do things for you, um, but now we're deciding to take that away. Um, and then secondly, I think it also feeds into this thing as, as you were alluding to that um, we're, we're, yeah, we're moving away. The pandemic is in inverted commas gone. So um, let's take away all the fringe benefits that came on the, uh, well, not fringe benefits, maybe more positive changes that might have happened on on the back of that yeah and I'll, i i want to get onto this positive change bit because it's something we've seen too but before i do i just there's something 
so stark about that car parking example. I'll be honest, I can't even get my head around the fact that rest, like basic break rooms have been taken away because I can't, or what didn't exist because I'm not sure I can actually, yeah, I don't think I can fathom, get my head around that one right now. But the car parking thing I think is, is particularly of interest because I think it's the best example of being able to explain to someone that it's not that they could and they couldn't, it's that we're making choices. Someone is making choices somewhere in that system that there are things that cannot be got rid of and there are things that can be got rid of or there are things that we don't have to provide and there are things we do have to provide. And I would imagine that before, for example, before the pandemic, I think we would have all assumed that PPE, um, protective, equi- protective equipment for everybody in every walk of life, given our, that we're a relative, I, I consider ourselves as a country relatively good at thinking about, you know, health and safety, relatively good at thinking about health and safety, would be a bare minute. And then we learned very quickly that actually, if it didn't exist in the world, then we, you know, we it wasn't necessarily guaranteed that people would be provided with that. And I, I guess it just makes me think again about like, what's the bare minimum that we as a, as a society should be guaranteeing as your work experience if you are working in a job that is fundamentally a government or a public or a societal based job? And yeah, I, I can't imagine how annoyed I would be. <laughs> I, think I, I think I just feel really sad. I don't know. Yeah, it, I, it does make me. It does make me sad. And I was recently speaking to a group of um, medical students, and they were talking about their transition into into year one of, of medical practice or um, into into their placements. And that's where they sort of, well, yeah, get the first exposure into actually what's what practice life is like being a, a doctor in, in the NHS. And it's almost like saying the scales fall between, you know before your eyes, and and you cannot believe that you've spent all your years in in school and in medical school working to be in a in a place like like this to it or like being exposed to those um working conditions and things that actually we take for granted and i think you hit the nail on the head when we talk about or when you said that someone makes decisions and the question is you know why are those decisions being made and where are those resources being allocated and i fully understand and appreciate that resources are finite and that we're trying to do the best that that we can but I think there's also a comparison that needs to be made between the the the, the, the basic level of, of working conditions um, and things that we have in workplaces outside of the healthcare sector um, versus what lots of healthcare workers have to 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 deal with in in, in their specific roles. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about parking, and I also appreciate that not everyone has free parking at work. But equally, you're also not being asked to you know visit four sites in across the county um and 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 not know where you're gonna where you're gonna park and then have to potentially pay hospital level parking which again is not not cheap um and other things like yeah can you have somewhere you can get a tea or coffee can you get somewhere where you can get a hot hot a hot drink and and that's being done against the backdrop of having to work night shifts and, and weekends um so it's those little things and saying well do we expect that of people who work in other sectors and if not then why are we expecting that and asking that of our healthcare workers yeah and I think it's challenging isn't it because I, I quite often I've heard the conversation not uh not when talking about men uh when talking about healthcare workers but in my in the industry I most commonly work in which is in sport and, and, and leisure and we have this conversation about firstly well you chose to work there 
And I always find that a baffling response. It's like, okay, well, what if no one chooses to work there? <laughs> then we, we don't have that anymore. But also this idea that just because you've been given the choice and you've chosen to work in that industry, A, you will have had full information about every part of that experience and it's been exactly the same since you chose to go down that path. But also that somehow that means you're not entitled to bare minimums and you're, that there's not a basic level of... I don't want to use the word hygiene, uh, the basic level of standard that we should all be able to have a right to in the quality of our work. And that, that that seems to either exist and somehow because resources are supposedly less or not available, people choose not to stick to it or those standards don't exist. And I I wonder how much that because it's healthcare work and because they can't walk away because who would do that? Because they are so close to the impact of their work and they see it every day, how much harder it would be for them to leave, move, not work, strike, organize, whatever it is. And whether whether that means that they end up with far worse, not far worse conditions, but one of the problems is that it, you know they're not able to distance themselves. And does that have some impact on them not being able to push those standards up or, or I don't know? I think so, because we talked about values earlier on, and it's very much a, a value-based profession. Um, and I feel that actually if I ask for more for myself, then that takes away from other people. Or um, if I ask for more for, for me and my colleagues, then the public actually might not look at that favorably. And I think there's also a misconception that people think that healthcare workers are paid really well. I think in particular, that's often levied against against doctors. But if you really break the figures down, um, most doctors don't earn, some earn a lot of money, but many, many don't. And if you look at the training and the, the work that entails to get there, um, if they, they compare with their peers and, and others as well, they could easily be making a lot more money if they went and did something completely different. But to your point about leaving, and people do leave, and that's the problem that we have, is we have a system which is not sustainable, where individuals perhaps in the public health system then leave and then to the private sector, um, either because of wanting to make more money um, or needing to make more money, actually, um, or then for better working conditions, or then going abroad and working in countries like the US or Canada, Australia, New Zealand um, as well, or then leaving and doing something completely different. Or the other alternative to that is actually being forced to leave because you take time off work because you're unwell or you exit the workforce altogether. And again, then all that does is, is you have a, a, a cycle which then just creates more demand and we're not going to have a sustainable workforce and that's problematic for that's problematic for, for all. And going back to the whole thing about basic standards, that's, that's completely right. And not everyone's going to relate to car parking, but just think about how many of us actually go to work 20 minutes earlier just so you can turn your computer, because you know you've got to turn your computer on because he has to load and do his updates and whatever else so that you can see your first patient on time because you're not sure your computer's going to start. That's bonkers. Yeah, I want to get one of your colleagues on to talk about digital housekeeping, uh, digi housekeeping for exactly that reason, because I think, well, that's a whole separate issue about computers and, and the challenges of managing our digital lives. But I think um, I think your point about the basics and the way we, you know, the way we think about that work, I guess... Not to sound like I'm making an argument that occupational psychology and, and psychologists generally should be everywhere and doing everything, but it does strike me that we've been a little bit 
ad hoc as a society about thinking about working conditions and, and maybe we need to think about it a little bit uh, a little bit more meaningfully I want to move on to something you alluded to earlier and we, we kind of touched on a little bit which is that our experience talking to our clients and some of the people that we work with is that some really good things came out of COVID and the pandemic restrictions um, aso- alongside some very, very challenging things. Uh, for example, organizations found that they were, they were on a really simple level, far uh, using digital tools far better and more meaningfully. So they were getting to know them properly because they were forced to, and then they were getting more out of it. Um, we've got a rather large number of now employee surveys in various organizations showing that, yes, there was isolation and all of this, but people were experiencing more control over when they worked in some of the organizations that we work with. And actually, weirdly, sometimes feeling much more closer, much more closer, much closer to their peers in their organizations because they were having less less informal chat, but they might be having more meaningful one-to-one conversations. So we've had a few things like that. Um, one of my personal favorites is uh, I was chatting to some football coaches and they were telling me about they'd never used digital tools for their teams at all before. And now they are using them as a kind of informal social and mental health and mental well-being conversation places. And they're able to much better connect with their adult players outside of season. So there are some good things. I guess I'd be interested to know, was that, aside from things like the practical of uh, no longer having to pay for parking during that period and, and maybe having more recognition from the society. Were there other practical good things that might have come out of COVID? And do you think that in this transition and beyond, we will see some of the positive things maybe impacting uh, healthcare workers' experiences? Yeah, I think I think what's interesting is to to look back and we recognise that the, the world of work has changed for, for everyone. And it changed quite dramatically. And what that did was it created a space for people to potentially innovate and do things do things differently. And we, we just had a paper which was published where we um, interviewed junior doctors about their experiences working during during COVID. And one of the themes that came out was this sort of positive impact of COVID-19 on, on, on working practices. And one aspect is around new ways of working, where actually for for many it was about maybe being put into teams which um you had you know you had maybe a designated mentor or supervisor which technically you had before but actually people who were who were more proactive in taking on those low roles and and you were getting support from peers from um, your seniors you're getting more support from the organization and all of that then actually creates a more close-knit working environment and i think also having this common challenge that people are faced faced with so kind of brought people on board uh, and also brought a lot of, of, of barriers barriers down. Um, you know, we already mentioned actually some of the more practical things around about car parking and restroom facilities um, around around that as well. But I think one of the other benefits that have come out of it was, was um, we'll talk about stigma and actually be people being a lot more open about struggling because I think as a society, we've also become a little bit more open about, about um well, about mental health and about isolation and loneliness and how you know the pandemic has been difficult on, on on lots of people. And I think while many people and many healthcare workers still struggle to ask for help, there has been a lot more resources and support made available, which has make it e- has made it easier for those who want it to to access that. So I think that also is a is a positive. Um, but equally, we see other things. So changes mentioned changes to work practices. Um, for a period of time, junior doctors rotate, so they rotate across different sites, uh, across different places. So rotations were paused, so actually that gave 
um, for, so for, for some junior doctors, they, they enjoyed that because it actually gave them more stability. You're not having to move into a different environment um, and having a bit of, well, yeah, stability is something that we often take for, for granted. But if you're having to move every four months, every six months, then that can be quite um, challenging for you and not having to go through such, well, I want to say such a big change, but, but this is against a backdrop of a, a, a bigger change was also seen as a as a positive by by many. And do you think any of those positive changes will stick around? Do you think, well, there's two questions, actually. One, do you think they'll stick around? Do you, is anyone actually looking at those positive changes and saying, okay, what can we, you know, so in a lot of projects you'd see either after something as a crisis as big as that or a disruption as big as that, you might see a lessons learned or a whole project group set up. What do we learn and what positive things can we take? Are they doing that? And do you think some of those things will be carried forward? Um, the short answer is, I think when it comes to support services, um, specifically on the, the mental well-being elements, I think that there is people are looking at, you know, what, what can we maintain? What can we try and um, argue and advocate the resources that, that we need to keep for, for those? I think when we talk about changing of work practices, which is something which I feel quite strongly about, because I said at the very start, I really think that we're the product of our working environment. So what we want is, is better working environments. And the reality is, I think at a national level, the short answer is no. I think that the default is to revert to back to what we were doing before. And I think a lot of it is is large national level policy, things like, well, rotor systems and, and uh, rostering and rotations, which, well, on one hand, isn't that straightforward to do. But on the other hand, clearly we've seen across the last couple of years, it, it can be managed. But having said that, I do think that a more where change perhaps can happen and will happen is at a more local level because I think it's empowered some groups of people uh, in some settings to say, look, we're able to do that and this is something that we can do. We might be able to look at things like bureaucracy uh, or admin and say, well, how we've done this a lot more conducive um, across the last two years. This was something that was identified as a, as a nice to have, but not really something that we must do. So maybe we can get rid of all of that altogether. And in some settings that, that has happened. So hopefully to the benefit of those people who will carry on working in those environment. But I think maybe... What my hope is, is more than saying, like, look, we're going to retain this specific change or whatever it is. I think my hope is that it's the awareness of saying, look, we made a change and that was an improvement. And I think it's the awareness of that to say that we can make changes at a local level and we can empower ourselves to make those changes, um, which will then have hopefully a more sustained approach to having better working environments for those who are within those environments. That's a more positive place than I thought we were going to end up, Kevin. That's made me very happy. I guess we would always ask this at the end. We don't have an enormous number of people, though we do have a small and very dedicated group from the healthcare sector who listen, but we do have lots and lots of people who have healthcare workers as members of their family, their friends. If someone wants to signpost to a good website to find out more about what resources are available for healthcare workers, anywhere particular they should go, and anywhere they should go to uh, know a little bit more about the work that you do? Um, well, I think if, if you're concerned by, about yourself or anyone in particular, I think their, their, um, their place of work or the trust that they're in, occupational health services will always be a, a good place to, to signpost someone to. Um, alongside that, I think a lot of the um, various Royal Colleges or professional groups will also have additional support services as well. So the Royal College of Physicians as well. Um, if you're a, um, a 
a doctor, then there's a practitioner health program which comes in around, around there. The Royal College of Nursing will have lots of resources for, for those who come from a nursing background and equally the same the Royal College of, of Midwives. Um, so I think those are um, good places to, to signpost as well. And then there are also a number of charities which focus on blue light services and emergency responses, if, um, which you know, we'll, we'll more than happily speak to um, healthcare workers as well. If anybody wanted to find out more about my work, then I'm um, always happy for people to, to get in touch. I think the easiest place probably to find my contact on, on the Birkbeck website, but if I'm, or, or my email, which is k.teoh at bbk.ac.uk, or you can follow me on Twitter at Kevin, T-O-R-H, um, and I'm more than happy to carry on a conversation with anyone. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been great talking to you, albeit... I guess a little bit of a reality check as well as potentially offering some thought for the future. So thanks very much for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. And I think if I just sort of wrap up very quickly and say, I think reality, yeah, is difficult, but I'm always a, an optimist. And I think among this dark side, we see little shoots of positivity. And if we can embrace that and encourage people to be more pra- more proactive about managing their own well-being and the well-being of their working environments, then that's to the benefit of all. Well, that might be the most world of work finishing note that we've heard in a while. So thank you for sharing that. And I think everybody who listens to this is interested in how we can improve our well-being in our workplace. So it's a very positive message for people. So thank you very much. Hi, it's Jane. I just want to say thanks for listening to the whole episode. If you enjoyed it, if you have a question, or if you just want to say hi, you can find us on Twitter at worldofwork underscore IO. Don't forget, you can also find out more about what we do, including our online seminars, workshops, and development programs on www.worldofwork.io.